Before we jump in the word, I want to say a quick prayer. Can I do that? So, Father, my prayer for all of us is that you would give us um, Samuel's ear. Lord, an open ear, alive and quick to hear each whisper of your word, like him to answer to your call and to obey you, first of all. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, talking. I do want to talk about prayer. I think one of the great mysteries of the Christian life is prayer, especially the prayer of asking. And I think we've all wrestled with that problem in our own lives, right? Maybe you ask for something and you don't get it. And you start wondering, like, what's wrong? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with God? Um, and then we struggle with those questions. Why pray? Does it really matter? I think all of us have probably been there in some form or another. So this morning, I really want to address that topic on prayer. Um, again, it's, it's always humbling for me to talk about that because I just have my own questions and struggles. Actually, these sermons are my way of working through my own questions with stuff. We are going to be in 1 John 5 today. If you want to turn there and put your finger, we're actually, I'm going to start us for a minute um, in the Gospel of John, but put your finger because we're going to be coming to this in just a few minutes um, because it's really one of the most important texts on prayer in the Bible, I feel, First John chapter 5. But I really want to start in something else John wrote, which is his Gospel. And he recorded something Jesus said actually three different times, and John's the only one that recorded it. And I think it's significant that John's the only one that recorded it and then what he's going to say in First John 5. Um, what we're going to look at is found in Jesus in the Upper Room Discourse. It's his last words he spoke the night before he died. And here is what Jesus said. In chapter 14, verse 14, he said, You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. The next chapter, 15, he says, You did not cho choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And then in John 16, he says it again, essentially. He says, in that day, you'll no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until till now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Um, I've gotten a lot of questions about these verses over the years. In fact, when we went through John back in late spring, I had multiple people ask me about these very texts and wanting to know what they mean, because they kind of sound like a little bit on the surface, like, hey, if you just say in Jesus' name, you'll get whatever you ask for. It kind of sounds that way, right? So I got a lot of questions, and even had those on my own at some point. I want to tell you that these statements are actually, this praying in Jesus' name, um, they are very remarkable statements on prayer. Very, there's a lot of depth, a lot of really cool stuff that I want to show you that it goes into that. Um, but there's a great danger with this. And here's the great danger. Because, you know, we've talked about that I need to read Scripture with first century eyes, right? I read Scripture with first century eyes, and then I, then I ask 21st century questions about it. And here's the danger. If I read these texts with 21st century eyes, I'm going to really misunderstand them. The, the odds of me misunderstanding them are really high. I'm, I'm going to misunderstand it. I'm going to misapply it, and it's going to lead to a lot of disappointment in my prayer life. So here's what I want to do. I want us to take the 21st century eyes lens off, and I'd like us to take the, because this is what I need to see anyways, uh, the, 21st, the, the, the first century lens and ask the question, what did this mean to Jesus and to his hearers? What did it mean to pray in his name to them? That word, what I want to focus on is that word name because it's really significant. Because in our day and age, name, I mean, you got a name, but it really doesn't mean 
a whole lot. If you ever work with people from other cultures, people's names are very, very, very deeply significant. But to us, it's not quite so much. Um, for us, a name is something that, sh- that gets put on a label so you pick up the right coffee at the end of the coffee bar at Starbucks, right? That's, that's the main function of a name. I mean, there's more to it than that. But to us, name is kind of that kind of thing. But in the ancient biblical times, names carried a lot of weight and were really significant. A person's name was a big deal, especially in Hebrew Jewish culture. Um, names said something about a person to them. Um, yeah, by the way, I need I skipped that part. Sorry. Here's, I, first, I want to talk about what, what it is not. I forgot about this. I don't know how I missed that. What it is not. A name, this praying in Jesus' name, first of all, it is not a magical formula. It's not this super incantation that if you say the right word, you automatically get what you want. Like uh, open sesame, sesame, or if you grew up like me watching all the great 1930s Popeye where he would say open sesame, okay? It's not magic words. This is not a name it, claim it, and you get what you want kind of thing. I think the other thing that it's not, that I don't think we're so much in danger of that one, but maybe this one. It's not, he didn't mean it. These are the three words. You throw these exactly on the end of a prayer, and then it's the, the right kind of prayer, that it's not some, the three words that I tag on to the end. It's more profound, and that's why I was getting into the naming thing, because names meant significant things. So here's what a name meant to them. A name was your identity. It expressed your essence, your essential nature, your character. It described the essence of who you were. It was your name was the defining reality about who you were. Um, In the words of John Mark Comer, it was the truth hidden in the marrow of your bones. To the ancient Hebrews, a person's name, it described who you were, who you were. And a name also meant it represented a person's authority. So to ask for something in somebody's name was to ask for something by their authority, but it was also to ask for something that was in full alignment with who they were as a person, their character, their purposes, their ways, the things that they cared about. Um, tell me, what, what Jesus' name, what's it mean? God saves, or I, I frequently tell people it means God to the rescue. That's a pretty significant name, God to the rescue. In Matthew um, chapter 2, I think it's chapter 2, the angel says, you will name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So pretty significant. Jesus claims the name Yahweh in John seven different times. That, that is applied to him. Um, so he's claiming to be Yahweh, the, the great I am, which is a powerful name just by itself. I'll have to come back and do a sermon on that at some point. But that's his name. And I want to tell you, that, that whole thing is rich in meaning. To pray in Jesus' name is rich in meaning. It, to me, it means two primary things. It means I am praying because of Jesus, and it means I'm praying for Jesus' sake. I'm praying because of him, and I'm praying for his sake. That when I come to the Father in prayer, it is based upon the authority of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his blood that was shed for me to offer me forgiveness of sins that I accept by faith through him, and I become his child. And so when I come to him, I'm coming wholly on his authority, right? Only on his worth, not on my own worth. I'm not coming because of what I've done or not done today or yesterday. I'm coming on what he has done. So my access to the Father is solely and only through Jesus. So I come because of him. But I also come for his sake, for his sake. And that means that when I come to him and I talk to him in prayer, that I'm praying in line with his purposes and with who he is, that I'm praying in consistently with his character, um, that I pray in alignment with his heart, 
with his motives, his desires, his ways, his purposes. To pray in his name is to pray the kind of prayers he would pray. That's what it means to pray in his name. And I want to tell you, that rules out about a thousand of my personal ones. That rules out a lot of them. I mean, think about this. The very Jesus who said to us, come and die and take up your cross daily and follow me. To ask him for a brand new Lamborghini or to win the lottery, that's a total non sequitur. Does that make sense? The two things don't go together. Um, Jordan and Jason and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, and um, Jordan said to pray in his name is to recognize that he's the straw that, drink, that stirs the drink, not me. I like that. He's the straw that stirs the drink. So it's in praying in alignment with his character. I think there's another idea when I'm praying um, for the sake of Jesus. It also means that to pray in Jesus' name is to pray for his fame, to pray for the things that lift him up, that enhance and exalt his reputation. In fact, we know this because in John 14, 13, Jesus said this, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So to pray in his name is to pray for his fame. So we pray by his authority, and we pray consistent with his character. Um, The last few summers, um, Jordan and Katie, Katie's family... And it's a very extended family, aunts, uncles, great aunts, great uncles. They own a set of cabins out in Colorado, four cabins in this property. And they have, they, they've allowed us to, to go out there every summer and to spend some time. And it's a great place. They've got the cabins, the creek in the back. Just go back there and for hours can hammock. And all you hear is the sound of the creek, watch the birds, take a nap, read a good book, pray. It's a really great place to be. And the ones who really set that up aren't even Katie and Jordan. It's Katie's parents. Um, the McGees, who live in California, are part owners. There's an ownership group, and they're part owners. And so when I show up, the first time we showed up, I didn't show up in my name. Do you know whose name I showed up in? In the name of the McGees, you know. Yeah, what are you doing here? Well, can I have the key? Oh, who are you? Oh, I'm Garen. The McGees set this up. Oh, right. And so I'm coming in the name of the McGees. I just can't run in there and, and go to the apartment, I mean, the cabins by myself. So I go based upon their authority, but I also, in some sense, I bear their reputation when I'm up there. Does that make sense? And I should be up there and use that place in a way that's consistent with who they are. So last summer, we got up there, and we stayed in um, one of the cabins that's kind of more in the front of the property. And back behind is this one called the Wee Scotty, and then the creek is back there. And we got there, and there was a couple um, that obviously was in the Wee Scotty because they had a couple of we assumed there, they had a couple of lawn chairs that were out kind of down close to the creek. And so Pat and I went back there to set up our hammocks where we hammock when we're there under the trees that we like to do it. And so we set those up. And then we um, ended up, we were hammocking. And while we were there, the couple came back from their day, their jaunt being away. And the husband was unhappy that there were other people by the creek because I guess they kind of wanted the view. And so he came over and said, like, what's, what's your problem? And we're like, oh, we're just enjoying this. And it became clear that he thought only they should be able to enjoy the creek. And so I, as Pat and I talked and thought about it, I'm like, you know what? We're here under the McGee name. And if, if, like, if I cause a ruckus or something, it's not going to come back on me. It's going to come back on the McGees, right? And so Pat and I observed and r- realized that that couple got up very early in the morning. They took off. They were gone all day, ate supper somewhere, and came back at night. So they really weren't spending time up there. 
So what we, our pattern became is we would go hammock in the, once they had left, we'd put the hammocks up, we'd hammock during the day, we'd take them down before supper and eat supper. Um, and it wasn't just because we didn't want to hurt them or offend them, but I felt like I had the McGee's name at stake and I wanted to do things in a way that honored them and that things wouldn't come back on their name. So to me, that's kind of all wrapped up in praying in Jesus' name. So if I were to summarize it to me, it's when I pray in his name, it's to pray because of him and for him. And you might, you probably in the past have heard this, or you might find me at times when I pray, I will actually end a prayer this way. Jesus, I pray those things because of you and for you. That's the essence of praying in his name. And somebody might catch me and be like, well, you're not praying in his name, but I actually am. Does that make sense? So I pray sometimes. It depends on the context. I will say in his name. There are times I think that's important. But the, the important thing to me is what's really behind it. So now that we've got that kind of out of the way, not out of the way, but we've talked about that, I do want to turn to John, 1 John chapter 5 because I want to look at a parallel text. Again, one of the most important texts in the Bible on prayer. And I actually want to start in verse 11. So if you'd open your Bible there with me. And while we're doing that, by the way, I just want to remind people, if you're here and you're like, I don't have a Bible, I don't own one, we've got some in the back on the, the rack back there, these kind of lime green looking ones, they are, actually are pretty cool up close. So feel free to grab one of those now, you can grab one on the way out. We would love everybody to have a Bible. But here in verse 11, I want to start in verse 11, here's what he says, this is the testimony, God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's pretty powerful, right? These things, I'm going to do this how I remember it. These things I have written to you that you may know that you have eternal life, that you can know that you have eternal life. And then in verse 14, he says this, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. To me, the key word to that is that word confidence. It's at verse, at verse 14 and 15 is really what I want to focus on. This is the confidence that we have. That word in approaching God, that word is frequently translated in the New Testament. That Greek word is translated boldness a lot. So John is really wanting to spur us on to, to push us towards having boldness and confidence in our prayer life. Um, God desires for us to be confident in our prayer life. It's his, it's his deepest um, wish that we be bold, especially in our asking. That's what he wants. That's why this is in here. And specifically, God wants us to have boldness or confidence about two things that I see in the text, two things. Number one, um, that, he, that we are heard, that he hears. That word occurs two times in this text. I always circle repeated words because they're insignificant. So that he hears, confidence that he hears. And secondly, confident that he will act according to what he knows is wisest and best which is according to his will. Confidence that he'll always do what's wisest and best according to his will. So let me talk about that first one, that confidence, being absolutely confident that he hears. Again, I said the word occurs twice in this text. The Greek word is really significant. It just doesn't mean to hear audibly. It means a lot more than that. Um, the words suggest active listening or listening favorably to a person. It means to have your ear bent towards somebody, like you're leaning in towards them. It refers to communication that occurs between two people who intimately know each other. Um, this word occurs two times in John's gospel. I think it's significant how much these things overlap. Two times where Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, 
when he starts his prayer, he says this, Father, I thank you that you hear me. You always hear me. It's this word. Your ear is inclined to me. There's other scripture that speaks to this hearing. I just picked out three that I'd like to read. Psalm 66, 19 says, God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Psalm 4, 3, the Lord hears when I call to him. And I love 1 Peter 3, 12, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous in his ears. They're attentive to their prayers. So be confident of this, that when you pray, you're heard. You are heard. And I want to tell you, Jesus knows this better than anybody. He knows the more, the Father more intimately than any of us. And in Matthew 7, here's what he said. He, he implored us, ask, seek, knock. And then he followed it with, to me, again, what's more, one of the more profound verses on prayer in the Bible. When he said this, which of you, if your son asked for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And I love that passage because what it tells me is, is it tells me that his predisposition towards us, that his posture towards us is that of a father and not just any father, but a loving father who wants to give good gifts. That is his posture towards all of us. And how many of you here are parents? Parents, how many parents here? I think all of us as parents understand that, right? We understand that. Because we all, with our ears, we intentionally listen to our children. We want to hear them. Not perfectly. I mean, we're human. But that was a desire of my heart, is I wanted to hear them. I wanted to hear deeply into what they were saying. That listening and hearing was based upon deep love and affection for them. I had an eagerness to hear and respond. I mean, even now, sometimes we'll go over, over to like Ariel and Josue's place, maybe in the evening, have supper, help put Nellie to bed. And then after we put Nellie to bed, um, I love to just go sit in the living room and talk with Ariel, hear about her life, what's going on, what is she thinking, because that's what any good father wants to do, is he wants to hear from his children, right? I want you to know it's the same with our Father in heaven, times a million. Like any good parent, he loves to listen, he loves to hear, he longs to be asked for things like any good parent. In C.S. Lewis' book, The Magician's Nephew, Polly... And Diggory fly on the horse Fledge to go somewhere. And they come to a point where Polly and Diggory need something. And Polly says this, speaking of Aslan, wouldn't Aslan, wouldn't he know without being asked? I've no doubt that he would, said the horse, still with his mouth full, but I've sort of an idea that he likes to be asked. And I really love that because God is eager. He's eager to hear. He's eager to answer. He'll never turn a deaf ear to you if you are his beloved child. Never turn a deaf ear. So that's the first thing we can be confident is that he hears. The second thing we can be confident is that he will always do the right thing. That he will always answer according to his will. We can be totally confident of that. And I'm really convinced that actually um, what John is, somewhat of what he's doing in verse 14 is he is taking, when Jesus said, praying in my name, that he's taking that and he's saying it in a different way, same thing, different words, so that we can really be clear on what Jesus meant by that. Um, and who better to interpret Jesus than the beloved disciple John, the one who is so intimately close to him. And so what we learn here is we can be confident that God will always do the right thing. 
And so what I learned from this is the goal of my prayer isn't to get my will done in heaven, but it's more to get God's will done on earth. That's the ultimate goal of my prayer. That's why when Jesus, when the disciples asked him, would you please teach us to pray? And he says, I want you to pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. Can you say the next phrase with me? May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, someone has said that every true prayer is a variation on the theme, your will be done. And we pray your will be done because we know God's character. We know who he is. We know his person, that he is all wise. He's all powerful. He's all loving. He's all caring. He's all good. And we know that he will do what is best and what is right because we know who he is. And so a commentator said this, so the boldness spoken of here in this text is not a brashness that challenges the will of God, but it's the confidence that God's will will be done and that it in part, it is affected through our prayers, which is really cool. He will do his will, but he will also hear, and our prayers have an influence on him. So let me talk for a minute about trusting God, because anytime you talk about the will of God, there's always people that have trust issues. And I want to go back to that Matthew 7 text. Because to me, this text is so bedrock when it comes to prayer. Um, again, and I, let's answer his questions. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him stone? Anybody here is a parent? If your son asks for bread, you're going to throw a rock at him? Like, anybody throw the rock on the plate? I don't think so, right? Or he says, what if they ask for a fish, a pizza, how about that, and you give them a snake? Any parent here, you're going to give your kid a snake if they ask for something good to eat? I don't think so, Right? So if you then, though you're evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father be able to give good gifts to those who ask of him? You know, he is like any parent, and being a parent has helped me so much deeply and profoundly understand God, because like any parent, I want to give good gifts to my children, and there's nothing I want more than for my children to flourish, to flourish, and that's what's God's on on his heart. So when a request is refused... By me as a parent, when I had small children, or by God, when it's refused, it's not due to a reluctance or an unwillingness to hear. That's not why it's refused. Rather, it is a reluctance to give gifts that are not good. A reluctance to give gifts that are not good. And not good gifts are things that the Heavenly Father in His perfect wisdom knows would not be in our best interest. He only wants to give truly good gifts. I recently heard J.D. Greer talk about this text, and he, he flipped the request. It was really cool. So he asked this question, and I want you guys to actually answer this for me, right? I need some participation. What if my child or a child comes to a parent and asks for a scorpion? scorpion? Will a good parent give their child a scorpion? No. What if a child came and asked their parent to put a, rattles, a live rattlesnake in their stocking for Christmas? Would a good parent put a live rattlesnake in their Christmas stocking? No, they wouldn't do that, right? Because good parents only give good gifts to their children. So if I don't get what I ask for, it's not in spite of his love, it's because of his love. And that's a huge difference. That's a huge difference. God loves you so much that like any parent, he will not always give you what you want, but he will always give you what he knows is best. Always what is best. As Tim Keller put it, I love this. Prayer is getting what we would ask for if we knew everything he knew. Isn't that powerful? If I knew everything he knew, prayer is what I would ask for. 
I really like that. God will always give what's lying with his will, and I want you to know his will entails my ultimate good. Do you remember Jordan used an illustration a few weeks ago, one that um, I had used back when I did the idolatry series. It's a classic Philip Yancey that he was taking his family to a week vacation in Disney World. You remember that, if you were here? And on the way, because they live in Colorado Springs, so the Yancey family, on the way, they stopped in Junction City, Kansas, and spent the night at a Motel 6. And his kids swam all night, and when they woke up the next morning, they said, hey, it's time to go. They're like, we don't want to go. We want to spend the whole week here, right? And uh, Yancey talked about, so in their mind, this was the best thing that they could have, right? They had no clue that the thing that, that he really wanted to give them was that. I mean, look at the water park that Disney World has, right? So, so many times we ask for things not knowing that God has something so much better for us. And then we, we want to fight and argue about the thing that we, we were clinging to, right? So, I just want you guys to come boldly to the Father like a child with a trusting heart, with a trusting heart, trusting that His will is better than mine, trusting that He is going to give you the best every single time, every time, trusting that in the words of Paul in Romans 12 too, that His will is good, it is perfect, and it is pleasing, trusting that deeply in your heart, and trusting with such a deep level of trust that I can pray this, Lord, what I want for me is what you want for me. That kind of trust. Okay, two confidences, right? He wants us to be confident in praying, confident that God hears, confident that God will always do the right thing, that he will answer according to his will. That creates one of the famous paradoxes of Christianity. It's one of the struggles of asking prayer. C.S. Lewis wrote a whole essay about this tension or this paradox. And this is what it looks like. I mean, you can tell I love these kinds of things. Um, I could do these probably every week. Not necessarily, not necessarily. But what I want to tell you is we've got to hold on to both of those things, both of them, that he hears, a confidence that he hears, and a confidence in his will. Because if you just hold on to one of those and you let go of the other, you're going to pray amiss. And I want to show you what that looks like. So if you just hold on to that, hey, God hears, but he'll just do anything I ask. It really doesn't matter. He doesn't really have a will in it. If that's the kind of praying I do, then I'm going to end up really, in my mind, I'm praying to Santa Claus, right? He'll give me everything I want as long as I'm not naughty and I'm nice, that I'll just get whatever I want. He's kind of like a genie. And people who are here just pray for, for the most willy-nilly things because they think God will just give them whatever they ask. Well, the Bible actually talks about this kind of person. We've all been there, by the way. I've been there. Uh, here's what the Bible says in James 4.3. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. That's what happens if I'm living in that side of the tension, if I'm letting go of the other side. But what if I'm living over on this other one? I have this really strong belief in God's will, and I'm trusting it. But in my mind, it really doesn't matter what I pray because it's not going to change anything that he's doing, which Scripture doesn't teach. But it's easy to go there, right? If I go there, then God's the unmoved mover, and he really doesn't need my prayers. Um, I had a very dear friend. We talked about this so much for a long time. This was a constant thing we were kind of wrestling with was this question. But people who are over here are people that just give up on prayer. They ask for nothing because they think that it really doesn't matter. God's going to do what he's going to do, and he doesn't need to hear what I have to say. Well, the Bible speaks to this person also in James 4.2, and here's what it says. You do not have because you don't ask. There are things I want to give you, but I want you to ask for them first, and you're not even asking 
And there are things you could have that you're not even getting. But in either case, whichever side of those you're on, I want you to look at what you get or what you don't get. You do not receive and you do not have. You don't receive and you don't have if you're living in either of those places. Um, somebody spoke to me after the first service and said something really profound. He said, I bounce back and forth between those. There's days I'm praying Santa Claus prayers. And then I don't get my Santa Claus prayers. And then I'm like, well, God doesn't care and doesn't hear, so why pray? And then a week later, I'm back over here. And I'm like, man, I've been there, right? Probably we've all been there. That's why it's so important to hold onto both sides of that tension to live in that. The God hears, I can be confident, and that my prayers can make a difference. James 5, 6, 16 says that the, the, right, the prayers of the righteous man are effective. And that God is going to answer according to his will, that I can trust his goodness and all of that. So we have to live inside of that tension. Somebody asked the question after first service, what are the question marks again? That's the only thing anybody from first service remembers because I didn't say anything about it. I just don't know what to call that guy or call that. Somebody afterwards says, well, that, isn't that somebody that doesn't really believe in God or atheist? Like they don't even, there's no God to pray to. I don't know. That, that's not the point of this slide, okay? So I just wanted to take that away. So you're not spending lunch talking about the question marks and wondering what they were. Um, okay. This kind of confident prayer, this confidence that God hears and this confidence that he will do what's right. This bold, trusting prayer, it was modeled for us by none other than Jesus himself in Gethsemane, where he comes on the worst night of his life and in utter boldness that he would be heard, says, Father, can you take this cup of suffering from me, please? But he also held to the other side, and he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he modeled for us what it's like to hold to both sides of that. Jesus shows what it means to pray authentic prayer. So we look to him for our model. And by coming back to Jesus, we've actually come full circle. And here's how we've come full circle. Um, do you see that to pray in Jesus' name and not pray your will be done is not to pray in Jesus' name? Does that make sense? Because the very Jesus in whom's name we pray in every prayer said your will be done. He asked but he said, your will be done. Okay. Um, I want to end with something else from 1 John 5, 14. Would you open that back up again? Verse 14. And I want to show you that, that John is actually saying something really significant, that, that our prayer life really needs to be rooted in a real intimate relationship with the Father. The relationship is the most important thing. He says this in verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. Approaching God. Uh, that word approach to me sounds really sterile, right? Like you go to see the, the, the governor of Kansas. You can approach me now, right? Or the president. Come approach me. Um, I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean that. But to me, that's a really sterile word. I want to show you uh, the Greek word that John uses there. It's the Greek word pros. Um, it is so powerful. It's a preposition. And pros means for two people to be standing face to face, close proximity, face to face. It shows presence and it shows relational intimacy, what's inside of that word. And it's the same preposition. I just love this. It's the same preposition that John, so we're doing a lot with John today. John says in John 1, 1, where he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, pros, and the word was God. 
And that word process is so significant because he's like, in this divine community, the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the way they relate is in total intimacy, face-to-face, total proximity, total love for each other. And then he's saying this. He says, we have this confidence that we can come to God pros, the same way that Jesus relates to the Father, face-to-face, deep intimacy. Don't you love that? And so to me, in all of this whole this talk about prayer, we can talk about the confidence and the two things, and I think that's important. But the most important thing we should leave here with is that what God wants with me more than anything is a pros-intimate relationship. And my prayer life should be a life that comes out of that relationship. And in a relationship I have with people or my children, you know, yes, they ask and I want them to ask, but there's so much more. We just talk about what's going on, the ups and the downs. God wants to hear all of that stuff. When, you know, you praise him for what he's done, that you, you give thanks for things he's done. You share the things in your life. You ask for questions. You daily yield to him. I yield to you as, as my Lord and my creator and as my father whom I respect. And so to me, the most important thing of all of this is that prayer is really about a relationship. So get your prayer life to the point that it's really about a living relationship with a living God. And then when you get in that relationship, be bold and confident in your praying. Confident that he hears, that his ears attuned to you, and confident that he's always going to do the right thing according to his will. Confident in those things. Because in the end, prayer really isn't about getting answers. Prayer is about getting God. That's what prayer is about. It's about getting him. So we want to end with a song. Would you stand? Um, we want to end with a song, giving praise to Jesus, the one in whose, whose good name that we pray.
Father, the Son, the Spirit. And in that walking, we're people of prayer who talk to Him. And we come to Him with confidence and boldness that He hears and that He'll always do the right thing according to His will. So may we leave here with that confidence. Because you're sent to a world that is so lost and desperately needs Him. So 12, you're sent. God bless you. Amen.